for checking out 1DB, a bi-weekly podcast where we strive to help you become the best person at your table. New episodes come out every other Monday. I'm Jacob, and as always, we're here with our resident DM, Gabe. Hello. What are we talking about tonight, Jacob? Abe, I have to tell you, I'm so proud of you for doing this correctly on the first try. <laughs> it's it's like it's like we we managed to do a collaboration effort um, <laughs> and talk about this before we were gonna, gonna rehearse and record. So I think that we should talk about collaboration. I think so too. I think we should collaborate more in the future. Yeah, it makes us sound like we don't really know what we're doing, but. Um, Oh, that's the secret sauce. Full like revelation breaking the fourth wall. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. So, (laughs) oh, collaboration, Gabe. Collaboration in in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, where do you want to start? I think that we should probably start where in the beginning. I was gonna say in the beginning, yeah, but there you go. With Things that DMs and players seem to have the most issues over. Mm -hmm. And that would be your companions, your NPCs. Mm -hmm. um, Anybody in your backstory. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'd like to start. Okay. Well, why don't we start with the backstory? Just because it's... We can hearken back to character creation pretty pretty easily there uh i think any characters that you have labeled in your backstory that you've named that are important to the integrity of your character whether that be through you know uh your character's personality uh is this like a spider-man thing looking back at uncle ben great power comes with great responsibility uh were they sacrificed are they alive are they Puppets in the kleptocracy of the shadow government that you hate and you're under. Um, it was a reference to to the last episode, in case anyone I forgot the word kleptocracy. <laughs> I still haven't looked it up. It's just fun to say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I mean, I think backstory is, is a great place to start. I think that you and your dungeon master should be actively engaged before the game starts in that process. Um, anything that is coming up because the characters in your backstory should be shaping the personality of your character. So those named characters, I think you really want your DM to match how you expect them to interact with your character because this is this is the last point of departure for your influence as a player outside of the game with the DM's sort of permission. Um, this is your chance to say, okay, I want the father figure of my character to be really supportive and mature, and I'd be heartbroken if anything happened to him. And then you're going to want to take it a step beyond that and talk with your DM and say, I'm okay with bad things happening to this character. I'm okay with you using him as a linchpin in the plot of my character's growth, or I am okay with... uh." another one of my characters 
coming in and interacting in a way that causes grief for me and my character. Basically, you're you're I, I've heard the phrase giving knives before, where you give your DM knives that he can stab you with, essentially, to to propel the story forward, to propel the plot forward. And this is your last chance to really do that. So here's what I have to say about that, because I think that that you're right there. Players seem to equate long rambling backstories as full and helpful, right? That that mm-hmm. seems to be my um, experience, at least, that players just hand in this long and winding backstory with a thousand different characters, and mm-hmm. they think that more is better in this situation and that's just not really the case i think that you really only need to name two or three people that you really want to be involved Mm because if you're naming these people if you're bringing them into the story for your dm you should expect the dm to be able to use these players or these uh Mm -hmm. these npcs so you you're allowed to have an investment towards them but I feel like you shouldn't be afraid of having them get used. Like mm-hmm. we we don't want them to end up being thrown out for one episode and then you never mention them again. Yeah, I I agree. I th- I think that it's you know, I've I've been the DM that gets a miniature fan fiction from a player. I've gotten bullet points. And honestly, I I prefer bullet points. Uh, and then a hearty conversation about what the player expects from those characters, because ultimately collaboration, collaborative effort is a meeting of the minds. It's a little bit of what you expect and a little bit of what your DM melds with that expectation. It's never going to be perfectly what you want. If you want to be an author and you don't, you know, these are your sacred characters. Well, then when you give it to your DM, those characters should be dead. And when they show up as zombies, don't be too angry with your DM when you have to smite them. Well, that's that's absolutely fair. Uh, it's a great thing that you said that it's kind of a meeting of the minds and that you have to taper your expert expectations because what you have unless you have like a fully written out personality tree for these mm-hmm. characters where you explain eight different scenarios as to what this player is going to do or what this <laughs> NPC is going to do in a certain situation, the DM might not fully have the same um, vision in mind mm-hmm. than that yeah. you do. So you have to tape your expectations a little bit and not get, not get offended when your father does something that you would think is out of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You you want to have a little bit of grace for your dungeon master, but at the same time, your dungeon master does need to perhaps reach out before the session and make sure that, you know, you've connected a little bit. Because again, collaboration, it's, it's both of you. It's never one of you. And um, I think that is a really important point. A lot of I know in the past, even myself, I've been guilty of attempting to surprise a player with a character from their backstory completely out of the blue. And while that can be really effective, 
And if the player is all for it, great. But if you don't take that chance to invite that character or that player rather into this collaborative effort, I think you are removing one of the little aspects of this game that is beautiful. I think that you're absolutely right about that as well, because that's the thing about this game for everybody. Every every story, every module is unique because of the characters that you all bring into it. And mm-hmm. even the DMing styles. I can play Curse of Strahd with you and have a completely different experience with a different DM play, uh, running Curse of Strahd. It's just... Mm-hmm everything that that everybody brings to the table and why would you want to stymie that creative experience from your players if you're not like why would you even take a backstory for your from your players if you're not going to mm-hmm. use any of that you know yeah i i think that we have in our notes here that or at least i spoke a little bit about how in pop culture and in television you have some of these stories or some of these characters that have brothers or sisters or aunts and uncles that they mention in the first episode and then you might get one more episode out of them and then it seems like everybody kind of forgot that that person ever existed i'm thinking like that 70s show i'm thinking how i met your mother um Mm -hmm. and then in parentheses, we have stashing versus utilizing these characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about how you don't want to, if you're going to have these characters named, then you should expect that that character to be used and not um, mm-hmm. try to hoard them for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You don't want it to be a trophy case. Uh, I think one of the the examples that that we added in was uh like from friends, Ross's son. Mm-hmm. Um, like he shows up maybe once a season at best, but like other than those very specific moments, you almost forget that the guy is a father almost entirely in between. I, I would say, I don't want to like ruffle anyone's feathers about friends here, but um, I think it's important that when you're talking to your, your dungeon master or your players, that if you're deciding about these players and the role they're going to take in the game, you know, do is it a trophy case do you want them to look pretty and be window dressing and to show up or do you want them to have a very realistic role in the game and you you do have to make sure your players are on board with this because they are the ones that are going to be excited to see the character they're going to be the ones that make it feel like that npc belongs with them in the moment it's a cheap plot device. That's what it is mm-hmm. when you're when you're just yeah. bring these characters out just to get kind of an emotion out of out of these players. Like mm-hmm. if you have no other objective in mind for these NPCs than to just get a rise out of them and then they leave, they don't even like go into uh, initiative with you to go do a battle mm-hmm. or like what are you doing as a DM? Like what? Are you even reading these backstories? Like, what is going mm-hmm. on here? Yeah, I I like that you you referenced the cheap, the cheap feels because I I, and I've had the thought as a dungeon master like, oh well, you know they really like this NPC. I can use him to push them in the right direction because they'll, you know, they covet him. They they want to protect him. Uh, but that's a dangerous mentality to have because you know if you do that too often, it's like crying wolf. Your players are going to start to look at your NPCs like, 
Gabe's just using him to get to us. Or your players will stop being emotionally invested in your in your NPCs. Um, that's a that's a bad thing for your game. I also mentioned in my first little speech in the beginning of the the episode that you shouldn't have a long winding backstory that has a thousand different characters named. Yeah, because. Yeah. Who's to say that you're not going to have uh, one of those characters end up being in the backstory that you really or not in the backstory, but in the main campaign that you don't actually care about. And then mm-hmm. you get mad at the DM because they pulled great Aunt Greta out instead of <laughs> instead of of your father, you know, like great Aunt Greta's at Lord Happy's Fun Castle. And now <laughs> And now you just have no idea what's going on Um, in a different system that I just bought uh, friendship effort victory for Mm -hmm. PBTA. They actually mention for the DMS that they, that they say that characters of worth are the only ones who should get names. And I agree Mm -hmm. with that. Uh, in my mm-hmm. backstory for the for the one shot that we're doing, um, I mentioned two characters, and that's it because they're the only two character or three characters. I'm sorry, three characters, and that's it because they're the only three characters that are of worth to me that I have any kind of value in. And you're happening to end up being one of those players now or one of mm-hmm. those characters, so. I don't know. I think that it just kind of streamlines that process for the DM a little bit too. You're able to focus in on a on a point that you want to see and mm-hmm. the DM is then able to run with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's and and again, the DM already has a a ton of work. So, if pulling up your backstory is going to look like a 13-year-old's diary that rambles on for 12 pages, guess what? That DM is going to get pretty tired, and if you do have too many characters, it's likely he's just going to grab Great Aunt Greta and run over to Lord Happy's bounce house. Um, so my so. question... <laughs> my question is then, Gabe, we're, we're talking about all these like blunders that characters and players... Mm-hmm or that players and dms do how can you be more than 70 percent sure that the dm's going to actually play your character or your npc in your vision not a hundred percent because we already said that that's not going to happen but how can you not guarantee it but help facilitate the vision that you have and see it fulfilled in the campaign Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent collaboration. It's a conversation. Um, it's a conversation that takes place after you've handed in your backstory, which is hopefully just a couple pages long, and it's hopefully, you know, formatted to some degree with the named characters that are very important. And it doesn't have to be a long conversation. We're not trying to bog down the DMs and the players. You know, we don't want D and D to feel like homework. But this should be happening before the game started. And you just need to have a little one-on-one conversation in private that says, you know, this is this is the character. Can we review my backstory together and actually bring up your backstory and look it over? 
make sure that you're both accountable for what's on this on the sheet. You took the time to make it. Your DM can take the time to read it. Um, and then just have a very honest conversation about your expectations. You know, like I said, giving the DM knives. Make sure that boundaries are set. You don't want uh, your DM to run your father, you know, completely against the grain of what your description is. Uh, the same as, you know, your DM wouldn't want you showing up with a character that's completely different than the one that was given to him. So it's, or her. It's it's a, a give and a take. and. You just gotta gotta talk. One hundred percent, you do have to talk, and that's actually a great way to talk to go into the next thing that we're talking about. Which, mm -hmm. if everyone isn't aware by now, we're focusing on having collaboration with everybody at the table. That we're focusing on having everybody be able to have their inputs and alleviate some of this tension that players and dms feel that are that's unspoken between each other because that's mm -hmm. the main killer of a campaign in my in my opinion um, the slow death the slow death and it's truthfully caused because of something very very little in the beginning of of most campaigns maybe in the first mm -hmm. one or two sessions um so in pbta specifically they have two different move sets that you can make as a uh, as a DM, you can do soft moves or you can do hard moves. Now, soft moves are something that gives players time to react and move off of that. And hard moves would be something like dealing damage, where you immediately take take damage, right? Um, and I think that that's a great way for DMs to think about their actions in Dungeons and Dragons because there are so many different times that you could just be as heartless as players mm -hmm. would call a DM, heartless as you can and just desecrate your party. Or you could <laughs> get give them you can give them the benefit of the doubt and like kind of work things out. Yeah, yeah. It it's a fine line and it's it's never the same line in every game um you, you never know what what your players can or are willing to take and you uh, we've we've discussed um you know are your players sort of browbeaten by you constantly running a horror campaign um are they on their last legs it's it's a really really you've got to read the room you have to have the open communication with your party and understand is a hard move right now even though it's the realistic thing to do going to break my players down and make them really dissatisfied with the game um and i i love that pbta has an actual mechanic for it because this is something that my, myself playing predominantly only fifth edition i've just had to learn over time you know you got to read your players you got to communicate with your players can they take a TPK right now. Like just because the most realistic thing to happen right now is that the big bad evil guy would kill the party and maybe you'll break immersion is a hard move at this point in the game the best option for the health of us as people just trying to have fun. So I'm going to go into uh something that happened to me as I was running an Urban Shadows game 
because this mm-hmm. was the first Urban Shadows game that I decided to ever run. And as a new DM in the system, I was a little bit nervous about about making any kind of decision whatsoever. So I had mm-hmm. a where I had the werewolf character name his arch rival who and I can't remember what the name of this arch rival was, right? Mm-hmm. So it was the wizard's turn and the wizard was in his in his shop, okay? And the shop was full of magical artifacts that people would be able to come to and and get things. Well, I brought the werewolf's rival who was a leader of this gang, another another clan of werewolves, and he came in trying to steal information from or trying to steal some artifact from this wizard. Mm-hmm. And the wizard rolled really terribly at one point. So I had the option of dealing a hard move to him or giving him the option of the soft move, which I chose as putting him in a hard place. So in this scenario, I took his assistant, held him at gunpoint, and I told him, hey, what do you do? And mm-hmm. it made the the wizard think on his feet, and he got out of the situation by now kind of having to give the information over, but it still advanced the plot in a way that was a little bit more satisfying than me just killing the assistant in cold mm-hmm. blood, you know? Yeah. Like, and afterwards, everyone was like, you actually handled that very well. And I I thought that was fantastic praise from, from everybody yeah. at the table because it's one of those moments that you don't really know what to do until you're kind of in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. I think that we can always try to prepare ourselves for any outcome in a game, but you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, actions have consequences. And judging on the spot the degree of consequence is (laughs) a skill honed over time. Uh, to say the least. And I, I love that PBTA gives you the ability to sort of just gives you an option. It's almost like you're playing a game and it's like, do you do do they deserve the hard consequences for this or the soft consequences for this? Um, now, there have always been opportunities. There have been opportunities that like as a player in in the mm-hmm. game, I rolled terribly and the only option that the DM had logically was to deal a hard move and give me and give me damage i understood Mm -hmm. the risk when i when i made the move but i also had a had a move in my playbook in place that of like let me avoid dying (laughs) so i was playing fast and and loose at that point yeah but this goes into (laughs) this goes into the corruption track of pbta and that's a whole different story but this is what we're talking about when we're talking about failing forward. I could yeah. have I could have punished the player for rolling terribly and made him fail, but instead mm-hmm. I decided to make it, like help him fail forward and advance the plot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and failing forward is it's probably something we will reference constantly. It's one of the most difficult things to do in the moment, and it's almost impossible to retcon and go back and do after the moment has passed. But 
you know, if you can leave your player a little bit of grace, a little bit of wiggle room, it's almost always the best choice. And I just like that the other system has an actual mechanic for the dungeon master to provide that that grace. Um, because it's it's very easy when you're in the moment of being the dungeon master and this collaborative effort is occurring due to the back and forth, but you feel that the response to their actions is, you know, too harsh. Well, okay, maybe 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 the players have done something terrible and maybe they have gotten thrown in prison, but maybe from them being thrown in prison, instead of you thinking, wow, I got to execute these guys, maybe you spin it off into Suicide Squad. Have one of the, the higher up show up and offer them a job, you know. It's there's there's always opportunity to salvage. Uh, you just got to look for it sometimes. If I may, this is actually mm -hmm. a perfect way to talk about how one of my biggest gripes for new players or players in mm -hmm. general. Interact with your environment. I am like <laughs> smacking myself in yeah. the head here interact with your environment if you get locked into a prison if you get thrown into a prison in my mind as somebody who plays mostly pbta now and that the story kind of just advances itself without having anything like without having a lot in mind in terms of something else if you're thrown in prison you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go and like check the floors I'm going mm -hmm. to do a perception check or do an insight check. I'm going to go do something and like even do a little strength check on the bars of the of the yeah. win on of the windows. Yeah. If I keep doing something, eventually the DM's going to understand, <laughs> "Oh hey, he's trying to break out of here." And unless you kind of have unless you have a dick of a DM who's not who's yeah. like has something else in mind, for you they which might, is a, a dangerous path they might give you some kind of they might throw you a bone there like who's to yeah, say that yeah. you didn't notice that a tile was a little bit out of place and you flipped it open and there's um there's a tunnel that's half that's already half dug out yeah yeah it's it's the perfect moment for that improvisational collaborative effort to take place uh maybe the the face of the party you know your scanlan your bard is he flirts with the guard boom you know that could be a fun interaction maybe you've just let you know maybe there wasn't even a guard in the room he just yells out and you improv a guard to life the guard hears he rolls high on the the charisma check you have some pithy banter and the players have a new npc that they love and maybe this guard even you know breaks them out he doesn't have anything to live for who who knows but this is you're exactly right and this i like see this is where you and i differ again in that mechanical emotional sense i'm the guy scouring my character sheet for a mechanic or an ability or a spell which is why i love playing spellcasters you reach out to your environment um and you you look for that connection with the dungeon master and you say hey man we're stuck here your story's not going anywhere until we're out how about you play with me a little bit it's, that's, it's that's funny amazing. that you say that. It's true, though. It's a thousand yeah. percent true in every D&D game I ever play. I'm always that person who's trying to get out of combat by, mm -hmm. by just trying to, like, I have high charisma. I'm going to try to tr talk this person out of fighting me. <laughs> like, 
you do realize Jacob that you're putting is, yourself at danger, right? Yep, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Jacob is, it, in my games, Jacob would be like having a tea party in the middle of a battlefield. And he'd convince one or two of the combatants away from the fight. And then, so the mechanical combat-oriented players can have their battle on the side. And Jacob's still useful. He's still taking people out of the combat. But uh, you got to find your ways to... Your, your players are the heroes. Okay, that's and cool information. The game okay. is, yeah, the game is collaborative. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> that's okay. It was, it was a good little segue. I think that for a lot of people, there are a lot of games being streamed right now that there's no, it's no secret that D&D is kind of coming back into popularity, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. It seems like it's more and more people are being brought into the game as the days go on. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that you had the... I Was it you who wrote this question or was it I that um, <laughs> are players mistaking theater for D&D? Because yeah, when we're me. talking about that, we mean having people might think that they have to be sitting at the table and constantly being in the thought thoughts of their character at all times and that they have to role play every situation a thousand percent as their player and they have to act like their player at the table yeah so exactly and sorry go ahead oh no i i I was gonna say like do you think that that players are mistaking theater like is there just like this mistranslation of what expectations the players have for their campaigns nowadays? I think so. I think so because in the 80s if you were to pick up, you know, the starter kit, you and your friends would just play as the way you and your friends have always played. Uh nowadays you're watching professional actors and that's where you're learning at least the ropes or your own expectations. And this is especially dangerous for DMs. I'm not saying don't watch stream games. I love streamed games. But so do I. If if your expectation is what you see on a screen, it's just dangerous. I mean, you don't know how much they're collaborating behind the scenes. You don't know, you know, I mean, sure, some games are live, but that doesn't mean that they don't have outlines for for notes to hit. Maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe it's all professional actors, but it's still professional actors, you know. These people understand storyline. Um, I mean, I, I have a degree in creative writing, and the things that I see in the middle of a game improvisationally are different than that of, let's say, someone who is a physical therapist. You know, it's just you all see things differently. And when, when you're watching a game like that, it's really easy to think that there's this sort of mystical barrier between the players and the DM. And you see the DM lording over the players silently as they are all role-playing in character. And you think, wow, that's that's amazing. And it, it is. But is there any reason that during your game at home with your friends, you shouldn't just ask out of character? Even to your DM. Hey, man, like, is this a bad idea? Should or is Is everyone having fun with this? Are we doing what we want to do here? I, I feel like we've just miscommunicated. Um, you could always there's no party. reason. I, I lo- as a DM, I am thrilled whenever my party splits. It's I know you are always fun. I I but I'm I'm very gentle with consequences. 
uh, a split party just means I get to play with tension. I get to play with scenes. I get to to do cliffhangers and cutbacks, and I I adore it. But again, you 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 know where has this trope come from? Where don't split the party, never split the party. You know, I never instilled that on my players. I never overly punished them, but they all know it. They That's never true. split the party if they can help it. And in five years of playing with the same group, guess what? I never killed them for splitting up. But they still won't split up. So these these signals are coming from somewhere. And I do think that there is a degree of theatricality that's in everyone's mind. Like, I have to maintain this immersiveness 100%. And if I'm not, we're not having fun. or We're not playing the game in its purest form. It's like, guess what? You can you can stop that. You can you can break it here and there, and you know, communicate, have fun. You think that for me, the best thing that I ever did was branch out and play these PBTA games. I, I mean mm-hmm. it. Like it's made me really think about the mechanics of the game in a different way. Like you were mm-hmm. like you just said how I'm a different person in terms of how I handle situations, and it's because of playing these games. I yeah. spoke to you earlier that or privately that my first experience of playing any TTRPG was playing Pathfinder because my cousin got it for his mm-hmm. for his birthday. Now I'm like nine or ten and he's twelve or thirteen and we're just playing playing uh the the tutorial for like you know the things that that are there for pathfinder that your Mm pre-made characters whatever and it was so much fun that he asked me when he decided that he was going to dm 3.5 if i wanted to join in i said absolutely i want to do that but i don't understand Mm -hmm. like i'm not i don't know the rules and he's like that's fine i'll teach you no big deal um pathfinder to me, is D&D light, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I look at PBTA as well. It's not exactly D&D, though there are some things that are stripped away to make it a little bit easier for players to understand. And truthfully, it's a lot more open-ended for your creative juices. Um, mm-hmm. The roles are, are always 2D6s plus your modifiers. Like, I don't know, it takes away it takes away a lot of that guesswork, you know, like Mm -hmm. the the rules are kind of like simply stated. And I don't know, I think that any person who is interested in like really role playing, they should go to um, to play some PPTA games and then you Mm -hmm. can go back to 5e and you'll be a lot better for it. I think that mm-hmm. DM should also go because that way you can think about these mechanics. You t- said before that you had to um, learn it yourself, but in these systems, yeah. it's laid out for you. Yeah, there has been so many things that have just I've had to organically develop in play, and that's years of playing because nowhere, I mean, not to knock wizards, but nowhere in the player's handbook does it say like you should have the ticking clock and you should always fail forward with your players if possible for the story and 
oh, you might want to consider varying the degree of severity for your actions and consequences here as to maintain party morale. Like these aren't things that are in fifth edition. They aren't, these are things that you have to learn to, to just be insightful about as a dungeon master. And it's not easy to be naturally gifted in insight. It's not like I can just check that proficiency box. I think the D and D purists are going to like murder us after this episode's over though, because we are speaking, yeah. we're speaking some, some blasphemy here, like a little heresy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and it's great that you just brought up insight, uh, because I think that that's like what the second most used, um, check after perception (laughs) it's always perception and insight check (laughs) Mm -hmm. what do i um, see what light do i see it in so here's the thing should all skill checks be pass or fail like should that just be should you ever have a skill check that is just pass or fail that's a complicated question surprisingly uh yes and no i think that if it's if your plot is gated behind that door and it's a steel door and your players can't break it down, you've probably made an oopsie doodle. Uh, I like to if it's if it's a a plot point, I still like to gate it behind skill checks, but I will make them pass or fail based on time. So I'll even tell the player like I'll I'll say roll make make that strength athletics check barbarian, but here's the catch. You will succeed no matter what, but the amount of time and noise is the difference between a one and a 20. If you roll that one, you're still going to get that door open. Like, I'm not going to stop a barbarian with an 18 strength from chopping down a wooden door, but like, you might bounce off of it. You might let out a loud scream. You might attract some people nearby, and it might take you like 10 minutes, and your party's going to be sitting there staring at you like, what is wrong with you? You're off your game today. Um, and I think that's that's another thing that took me a while to learn as a DM. I blundered through it a few times, it, you know, first campaign through, and then you scratch your head and you think, oh, geez, I got to stop using skill checks like this. Or you you just keep using them like that and wonder why your campaign is a dog chasing its own tail. Um, but sometimes they do need to be fail, uh, you know, failable. You're, you're, your players can't just constantly and always succeed. So... Sometimes there is failure as well. See, I really like the idea of of time checks. That's what I call those time checks hmm. because that's what it is. It's it's mm-hmm. you're automatically going to pass based on how not based on how well you're automatically going to pass. Yeah. Colin, now, Jake, or yeah. Is is this is a time check a mechanic from a different game that you've played? No, actually, not okay. that I'm aware of. Okay. Not that I'm aware of. It's just a time, like, in my eyes, that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. a time check. I've seen okay. other, I've heard of other DMs who do it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the idea of it. These checks, you're going to pass exactly like you said, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But it's only dependent on how easily you achieve that goal. Um. Mm-hmm. So if you roll a one, buddy, it might be taking a little bit. Um. You're trying to bust down that down that door that like you you bounced off of it after after the first try and and you made a lot of noise. There's guards coming now behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. If you if you roll a 10, like 
you break your you break through it just enough that you can you can like get an arm in but then you kind of got stuck so you have to think about what to do next um mm-hmm. yeah a 20 oh hey. bro you just knocked it down like good for you oh yeah you look like, like a badass the whole time like it's like the door just kind of fell off its hinges it's like it's like <laughs> you you it's like your parents kind of came in and told you that you're not gonna have that door anymore <laughs> The door was a mimic, and it saw you coming, and it hopped off the hinges and ran. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this time checks are another thing that I wish was just straight up a mechanic in 5th edition, because if we're being honest, this is another thing that I've had to learn, and I know that we're straying from collaboration a little bit, but there should always be a ticking clock if there's a sense of urgency. If time isn't a matter, don't call for a skill check or a time check, you know, if if it doesn't matter how quickly they succeed at something, just say, okay, you get, you get through that point. Let's keep moving because if there's, if they're not racing against the clock or if someone's not chasing them, then slowing down the game just to roll dice for the sake of rolling dice is kind of a waste of time. See, I don't think that we're really getting away from collaboration because in my eyes, this is the dm constantly as you're as you're dming you should be constantly looking for ways to hum and make your game more compatible with the players and Mm -hmm. if players really like those skill checks if they really like having to check every time that they that they go into a room and that they have to do a perception check keep doing it but if they if they would rather prefer doing time checks more, switch over to that. Like this is all in the same vein in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that you have placed improv between the player and the DM as collaboration in my mind. I think that's a really, really healthy way to look at a game of D and D. That it the collaboration starts the moment the session starts and it runs the whole way through. Um but I, I do think that there's, you know, again, being insightful, keeping your eyes on your players. If they really do enjoy the skill checks, the constant stopping and starting of the game, and you do too as a DM, go for it. But personally, there's definitely a degree of knowing when to slow down and when to speed up the lens for me personally. Absolutely. And that's the other thing. If you're feeling your game dragging... Mm-hmm. that's when you should probably stop doing these skill checks that players have to pass or that's when you just give them an automatic pass and you can always not punish them but have a consequence for the action later so say going back to that example of the barbarian trying to bust down that door mm-hmm. your game's been dragging for a while they couldn't figure out how to get through that door barbarian rolls a one he is just mortified she's mortified that this just happened mm-hmm. let them go through and who's to say then that there's not going to be guards posted outside of the building then yeah like have them forget about that that even happened and then go into a long long um monologue afterwards when the whole building surrounded and be like we heard we heard this ruckus and we figured that this is where you all were about to be headed Mm -hmm. like i don't know that's just me yeah yeah the the flow of the game you know in the narrative it it all comes to a head and the roles are 
a great way to to make that happen. But yeah, don't don't let your game slog just just for a few checks. Okay, so I do want to go next into story arcs. DMs should they do it? Like an entire arc of of gameplay story with with just the a specific char- character in mind? Yes. Um I I think yes. I have I have structured campaigns that have been completely backstory driven. So every single arc was a different player who was then spotlighted. Um but there's and and I know that you we we discussed this of course privately earlier and you made some really good points and I think that they rang true in my own game when I did it. Now you have to keep in mind that even though you're running an arc that is about a specific player, there is always the danger of your other players checking out. And that was your point. And it was the most valid and true point that I can think of, which is why I'm stealing it from you and talking about it myself. (laughs) Um, But there's something that I've noticed in other streamed games where when a player is in the midst of his or her backstory arc and the DM is currying all of that collaborative effort off camera to that character like these are very clearly things that they've discussed together and they're creating together it's important to include things for your other players if you have a druid maybe that sun tree in the middle of that city should be a very important focal point for that druid um you know maybe there should be a school for bards uh there's there's just ways to draw everyone in and still make sure that everyone is useful. But I, I do personally love backstory arcs. Now, what do you do with players that don't want to have their, their story arc? Like, you always have, it always seems like you have the players that want to be the face of the party, and then mm-hmm. everyone else who, or not everybody else, but that one player who's really timid might be a brand new player, who just wants mm-hmm. to learn the the mechanics of the game and just wants to sit back and not really like have to make any big decisions. They don't want to be the hero of any arc or anything. Like, what do you do in that mm-hmm. situation? Like, would it offend you if a player came up to you and was like, "Hey, like, I know that you're really making this about me and everything, but like, could we mm-hmm. not?" It it could, and I think again, this this shines onto insight. And which is it makes it so challenging for me to give advice because ultimately I'm going to say you have to talk to that player out of game. Like if the player doesn't want any spotlight, you have to ask yourself, is that because the player is just not invested in our game? Does that player just not really want to be there? Is he just there because his friends are there? Uh, you have to ask, is is this a, like a bad fit? Do we do we need to look into maybe maybe I invite you to my next game? Where, where you'll be more comfortable? Or do they just want to be an audience member? And you have to ask yourself as a DM, are you okay with that? Um, and I've, I've had all of the above. And sometimes you just honor that player's wishes and you let them just be in the background and they're happy with that. Sometimes it is, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to call DMs like drug dealers, but, you know, have a little bit of plot. See if you like it. See if I can get you to take a little bit of more plot next time. You know, sometimes you got to, maybe you need to give them a little push. But I think it's, it's just communication. Um, I, 
I generally have the sense that if you're going to be at my table, I want you to be active to the best of your ability. But there are, of course, extenuating circumstances that can give me pause to say, force these players to role play. Um, but that's kind of my comment. So in my idea, like my my question of what would you like, how do you deal with this player? Would you just give them give some other player the the spotlight then? Like, and if so, how do you do it? Because I'm a fan of having my character also kind of have a shared backstory with a different character. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if we're all running uh Tomb of Annihilation, I think Tomb of Annihilation uh happens in Cholt, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Um I would see what other character has some kind of backstory in Cholt, and I try to make mm -hmm. my character tie in with that. Yeah, no, that that's a great example, especially for a timid character who is either new or simply does not want the spotlight. It's it's a wonderful thing to just be, oh, this is my brother. I'm really passionate about my goals and I've got a lot of attitude and everyone in the party's gonna know it. This is my this is my brother and he's he's pretty quiet. Don't mind him. But he he has as much of a stake in this as I do, and he will fight to the death for it. Uh, that's a, a great way to incorporate something, especially newer players that might be uncomfortable. I have to say, like, if I was a brand new player and then the experienced vet came in and said, hey, man, let's let's do something together and then started that collaborative effort without me, without the DM, that would be it's, it's great for the DM, too, because now the DM is a little off the hook. You've got your players collaborating. And then you can communicate with both of them at once, and it's going to save you time, too. This is something that's not on our list that I just thought of that I would like to ask mm -hmm. before we uh, kind of run out of time here. Now, you have been a player in a lot of campaigns, right? Mm -hmm. I've been a player in a lot of campaigns. There's just some campaigns that you might be in that you don't want to be in anymore. I know that I've been mm -hmm. I've been subject to that. I wish that there was like some kind of like jump off point that a D mm -hmm. that a DM and a player could like come to to be able to mutually leave the table at the same time while mm -hmm. the campaign was still going. Um is that beneficial for your for for new dms do you think would that be a beneficial option for for dms to have to like have it in their session zero that hey this campaign is gonna run for six months uh there's going to be three checkpoints essentially mm -hmm. we're like at any one of these three checkpoints you're able to get off the ride but if we get past this third checkpoint you kind of have to stay until the campaign ends hmm I, I would I would like that. I think having the, the game schedule is the most important thing because I have had to ask players to leave and emotionally it's incredibly challenging. And I think that the health of your game is the most it important can thing. it can really Yeah, and it can it can really suffer because I, I know like okay, you know, maybe we have a disruptive player, maybe it's come to a head, maybe everyone's voted that player out. It's your job now as the DM to say, Hey man, you're you're out. And it sucks. Um, and it never gets easier. 
It's never fun. And it's one of the biggest reasons I now play with those timelines in mind. I openly say, hey, guys, uh, this campaign is going to run for this amount of time, and then it will end and we'll move on. And I keep them into shorter durations now, because if an issue comes up or people aren't gelling, it's like, well, okay, we're going to play together for a couple months and then we're going to part ways. And then I'll know not to, you know, incorporate those players together. Or maybe I didn't mesh well with that player and I, I won't invite him back to the next game. It's, it's always a tough, a tough question. And I, I, I really like the idea of making departure points. Um, but I think it's just a really tricky thing. I hopefully you, you know, the life event or whatever event occurs that causes the split of a player isn't so severe that you can't make a commitment to play a couple more weeks. But it, it could be, you know, maybe there was a death in the family or or something serious or you got a job, you got to move. I mean, life doesn't revolve around this game as much as we would probably like it to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you can amicably come to a, a decision where you can tell that player, hey man, I know you're leaving, but I would love to make your your character a big bad evil guy. You know, can can we transition toward that the next couple of weeks before you go? Or, you know, can I retire your adventure so I in six months when you get a chance to return, I can easily say, oh, this is where he's been. This is what he's been doing. He's been an NPC for a bit and he's accomplished a ton of things. And now I can, you know, he's he's like arsenal for your your plot. Um, I love that, if if doable. I just want to kind of wrap this up with with a pretty bow, because oh, yeah, um, yeah. Here's something that I'd love to talk about the next time that we chat: it's Urban Shadows and their corruption track, and corruption. how your player can either end up leaving and retiring to safety that is actually the the like the f- goal point that you want you get to have mm. your player retire and and get to safety or mm-hmm. the next thing that we're going to be talking about on the next episode they become a villain villains so that was my creepy voice if you liked what you heard listeners please remember to mm-hmm. like listen and or not listen please remember to like review and subscribe to our (laughs) podcast uh we have our twitter which is one debate dnd or you can talk to us on discord on our discord channel which is one debate we answer questions hang out with our friends i'm actually going to be looking for players to participate in different pbta sessions soon so if you're interested in learning those systems come at me um as always i'm jacob and i'm gabe and this was one d